Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come. I pray, Lord, that you take these words. I thank you, Lord, that you delight in us. I thank you, Lord, that your heart towards us is always good and generous. Your Spirit always leading us into truth. And so we pray this morning that you'd come and you lead us into all truth. We bless you, Lord, for what you're doing, the amazing journey that you've taken us on already. And, Father, we look forward to this year, to all that you're going to do in this body of believers. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful scripture in Romans 8.28, which says, All things work together for good to those that love God and who are called according to His purpose. I'm sure you know that scripture very well. And uh, there was a little um, quote that I read this week, which just enlarges on that. And I really wanted to read it to you this morning as we begin, just to encourage you. Um, It's by a guy called Thomas Brooks. From a book called Holiness, the Only Way to Happiness. I like that title. Holiness, the Only Way to Happiness. And he says this, just expanding on Romans 8.28. He says, all the afflictions, all the temptations, all the oppressions, all the opposition, all the persecutions which befall a godly man shall work for his good. Every cross, every loss, every disease which befalls a holy man shall work for his good. Every device, every snare, every deceit, every strategy, every enterprise of Satan against the holy man shall work for his good. Every prosperity, every adversity, every storm, every calm, every bitter and every sweet, every cross and every comfort shall work for the holy man's good. Can you say amen? Because I I want to say amen to every sentence. When God gives mercy, that shall work for his good. When God takes away a mercy, that shall work for his good. Christian, though friends and relations frown upon you, though enemies are plotting and conspiring against you, though your needs like armed men are breaking in upon you, though men rage, and devils roar against you, though sickness is devastating your family, though death stands every day at your elbow, yet there is no reason for you to fear or faint, because all these things shall work together for your good. I say amen to that. God is sovereign over all. I want to encourage you, as I tried to do last week at the beginning of this decade, as we look forward for the next 10 years, God is able to do exceedingly more than we would hope for or dream. God is able. And I want to speak that over you, all of you this morning, the blessing of Romans 8.28. For those of you that love God and are called, and that's all of us, according to His purpose, all things work together for good for those that love Him. I also loved a quote that um, Nick sent me this week, a guy called Glenn Roosevelt. He just said this, when you are at the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. (laughs) I I like that. When you feel like that you're at the end of your rope, tie a knot and just hang on. And God will come and he will deliver. Uh, We looked last week at uh, this thing of the unknown path. And I I just want to, for those of you that weren't here last week, take five minutes to recap just the Three points that I made, and then we're going to dwell on a a fourth point this morning. But I talked about the unknown path, and I said that was something that we've been speaking about a lot last year. 
And it might have been better for us to use the word ancient path because this path that God is taking us on is not unknown to him. It's an ancient path of faith. It's been walked by many of the great heroes of faith in the past. It's not unknown to him. But for us, it is a walk by the Spirit. And so the fullness of what God has for us is unknown. We don't know. And so as we walk by the Spirit and we are led by the Spirit, we begin to discover more and more of what God has for us. And that's a glorious journey. It's a great adventure. And uh, I trust that you are excited that God is doing something new in all of our hearts. And a phrase that really crystallizes much of what I was trying to say last week is this, is that just as righteousness comes to us freely, Because of what Christ has done on the cross. So what we are looking for in our hearts and in our lives is a holiness, a set-apartness, a holiness. Because God says, be holy as I am holy. But we want that holiness apart from the law. Apart from compulsion. Apart from uh, any feeling of having to do anything to please God. Because all has been done in Christ on the cross. Are you with me? I read a, a quote by a guy called Ray Ortland this, this uh, week out of a book called Christ is Deeper Still. And he says this, what is the curse of the law? Well, Galatians 3.13 speaks of the curse of the law. And he says this, it is the or elseness of the law. Do this or else. Christ took the or elseness of the law onto himself on the cross. So that there's no more or else for anyone in Christ. Isn't that glorious and liberating? God looks upon us now. All else is gone forever in your relationship with God. That sets us free completely from any compulsion or any sense of we have to do anything because God is pleased with what Jesus has done. He has done it all. That should liberate us completely, set us free completely, that we can live lives that are free of any kind of compulsion because Jesus had set us free. And who Christ has set free is free indeed. And as we talk about this thing of sanctification and living a holy life, it is free from the law. It is free from compulsion. It is free from the ought to. It's led by the Spirit. And as Jesus leads, we walk. And as we obey, He pours out all his good things upon our lives. I believe he still re- he wants us to obey. He wants us to live freely by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. And for me, it's been a joyful uh, journey that God is taking me on. And I trust it's taking us all on. You know, I was just thinking of Shrek this week. There's that amazing scene where he, when he talks about, he's trying to talk to Donkey, and he's trying to describe what's happening, and he says, it's like an onion. Remember that scene? And you take one layer off and there's another layer underneath. Well, I think I'm finding more and more as God takes some things off of me and I'm starting to understand and get revelation. Whenever, whenever he takes something off, there's always another layer underneath that he still has for you to, he's putting his finger on saying, well, that thing also, that little onion layer there, it's also got to come off. And you know, it's a thing of rejoicing. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, repentance is a great Joy, because it is God leading us further and further into His plan. And as we just repent of the things that He shows, and His, his kindness brings us to repentance, and we can say, oh, yes, Lord, are you, are you right? You're so right. That thing, it has to change. And I'm just finding there's different layers in my life. More and more, God is stripping off the layers of the onion, and more and more freedom is coming, and more and more liberty is coming. And I trust that it's going to be the same for all of us. First three things I said this last week. When we try to describe the path of what God is taking us on, it's a path of both the Word and the Spirit. Remember I said that. 
We learn the way of the master. We learn the way of the whispering of, our, 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 of the spirit, not falling any longer on our own understanding, things that have been passed down to us, handed down to us. But God, in his mercy, wants to whisper in our ears delicately. He wants us to open our ears so we can hear and be led stepwise by the spirit. And God will share those things with us as we become more skillful in hearing and opening our ears and saying, Lord, what do you have? So we said practically that means we don't want to map out the whole year and put everything on the calendar. We have some big dates on the calendar, and I really want to encourage you this week for Mike Pilavachi. He's a great communicator, a lovely man, and he will be a blessing to this church. So we want to have some of those things. But also, week by week and month by month, we want to say, God, what are you leading us into? What do you have for us? This is an adventure. It's not boring, routine Christianity. We can map out many things, and you can know what's going to happen in November. How can that be God leading us by His Spirit? That's just our good ideas. It's our good planning, and we need some good planning and good ideas, but man, we need the Holy Spirit more. We need to be led by the Spirit daily, saying, my son, this is what I have for you this week. This is what I have, you for, uh, have for you this year. Amen? And as God leads us, we will obey and we will act, and I believe we'll see great blessing out of that. I said also that any structure that suffocates the life of God needs to be thrown off. And we have, we have uh, in one sense, made some radical moves this last year because we feel like God is saying, take those things off so I can show you more and bring greater revelation by the Spirit. And that's what we've done. And that includes our relationship. Secondly, I said it's the way of grace. And I don't want to dwell too long on these points if you can get online and listen from last week. Part of this ancient path is uh, throwing off a missional mindset, a missional theology. By that I said I meant that we feel like we are responsible for the whole world, that we have to save the whole world. And Wesley's uh, famous cry, if the world is not your parish, then the parish is your world, is not, uh, that, that is not the motivation that we want in our hearts. We can only be responsible for what God gives us. And God gives us a sphere of influence here. And certainly we can have an impact on the world as we are connected by relationships with other men and women. But we cannot be responsible for the whole world. God is responsible for the whole world. God so loved the world that he sent his son. And certainly we, we have to be encouraging each other for our sphere of influence, our families and our community and what God does. And as God knits hearts across the nation and the world, we certainly will have impact more than just this community. But let us give ourselves to what God has given us right here, right now, with all of our hearts. Amen? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And uh, I quoted again Michael Eaton last week. If we walk by the Spirit deliberately, we'll fulfill the law accidentally. As we walk by the Spirit, we will learn to fulfill the law accidentally. Terry Verga, I quoted this last week, he said this, Grace releases you from the fear of condemnation, assuring you that God has fully accepted you, has always loved you, and always will. You are safe and free. The church isn't meant to be introverted. I can testify to that. How many hours of introversion? Oh God, I should have said this, I shouldn't have said that. Oh God, it's all introversion, it's all looking inward. Now we look to the cross for what God has done through Jesus on the cross. We want to live lives free of introversion, preoccupied with rule book religion. 
How many of you have grown up in communities where there has been the, the, uh, the cross of Christ has been preached, but then there's a little add-on that, that, well, you have to do this, and you have to do that, and be careful to do this, and if you want a healthy marriage, do this, do this, do this, do this, and it's just rule book. Anyone can identify with me. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's living from the inside out. If it is by the Spirit, then those rules are thrown off. And as we follow Christ, we will want to do the right thing. Because He's leading us. Man, that's a glorious freedom. That is the freedom that God has promised all of us. Terry Virgo carries on and says this. It's... We are called to arise and shine and spread the message of lavish grace to a blind and suffering world. Grace doesn't lead to passivity, but to an outrageous adventure. A lifestyle that baffles those who play safe. It threatens the status quo and not only tentative religion, but also cynical unbelief. It sets the church free to risk for all the praise of him who freely gave everything for us. Isn't that amazing? This adventure, this great adventure that we have with God. Thirdly, I said, it's the path of preaching the living word of God. And uh, we want to preach the living doctrine of Christ. I chatted through that last week. But where I'd like to dwell this week is on what I said last week. It was my fourth point, that this new path is a path of the priesthood of all believers. And I'd like to try and just speak a little bit in more detail into that. Some of these uh, things I'm going to say this morning are answers to questions that people have asked me. And some of them are also, as we've talked as a leadership team and God has given us some, some uh, revelation, He's answered some of our questions as we've sought Him. And so the first thing I just want to say in, in terms of this thing of priesthood, all of us, every single one of us is a priest. We are a kingdom of priests. That's what Peter says. Every one of us is a priest. This is a spiritual house. This is not a charity this is not an institution. There are, if it, there, are, there are charities that do things much better than churches can. All right? Bernardo's does a great thing for uh, orphan children. It's not a church. The community of believers, a spiritual house is a church. And we are here, are gathered as a spiritual house. And in the spiritual house, every single one of you has a spiritual gift. Just as if I have some gifts, you have gifts, every single one of you. And there's this beautiful diversity that God has in the church. And God wants every gift to arise and shine. Every gift. Every priest to find his or her place and function. And we want to celebrate whatever that is. I think that's a glorious thing. That the church can be a place where every gift is celebrated. And I, I, I feel like we have to trust God that this church can become a place where people are so secure that every gift can be celebrated. Every gift. Regardless of who's preaching, leading worship, regardless of who's leading home groups or doing any of that stuff, that we celebrate every single gift that this church has been blessed with. What a glorious place to be. A church that celebrates each other, celebrates every success. 
And last week I had a look at the role of the lead elder, which is traditionally the role I've been fulfilling for the, the last um, nine years, and said by, out of necessity in terms of what God has called us to and by revelation in terms of what God is calling us into, that role has to change. And I said it's a glorious thing for me to say that I do not want to be the jack of all trades anymore. I just want to be someone who's, who's doing what God has called me to do with the one or two gifts that I have, and I want to see every other gift um, liberated so that together we can, we can find a beautiful sense of God's awesome plan for all of us. And so if my, my, my gifting is to lead worship and to, and to preach, I want to do that with all of my heart. And if your gifting is something else, we want to celebrate what your gift is and see it liberated fully. That's the kind of church we want to be part of. It's part of the ancient path that God is taking us on. And 1 Corinthians 12 is a, is, a, is a great scripture which talks about spiritual gifts in the church and it talks about how we are all part of the same body. I just want to quote a little portion of it to you with special reference to one of the verses because it says a very interesting thing. It talks about the weaker parts of the body, the less, honoring, less honorable parts of the body receiving greater honor. There's place for everyone in the body of Christ. Not just the obvious gifts, but for everyone. Regardless of how gifted you might think you are or, what, or how, li- how little you might feel you are gifted, God's church is a place for every single person to find their calling and their gifting. And we celebrate that together. It says, um, 1 Corinthians 12, As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which, is, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Amen. So let's come to some specifics then, in terms of this ancient path that God is taking us on. What about releasing ministry? Some of the questions I've been asked. What about releasing ministry? Well, from this point forward, we're going to have a little phrase we're going to say over and over and over again. Now, often people come to church and say, ah, so we love the, the people, it's wonderful, but you, you don't have a ministry to the poor. You know, I'd really come and join the church if you had a ministry to the poor. Or what about, what are you doing for the teenagers? Or what are you doing for this? Or what are you doing for that? Well, here's a little, little key for us all. There's no ministry without a minister. No ministry without a minister, all right? So if God raises up someone who has that passionately beating in their heart by the Spirit of God that's motivating them to do that thing, we will help to release ministry. But no ministry without a minister. Why? Because we're all unique individuals. Uh, all the, the elders are, are, should, should be men that are not novices in God but have walked a road with some miles with God. It's the same with us as priests. We are all unique. Our job as, pre- uh, as preachers is to simply preach the Word of God to you, to present Christ, as Michael Eden said, to placard Christ so it can be clearly seen that Christ becomes more and more clear to you. After that, your response to the Word of God, in a sense, is not our responsibility. 
The Word of God takes root in all of our hearts. And it takes root in your heart and my heart and how it produces life in you. Well, I can't be responsible for that. That, is, that comes by the Spirit of God. Those who preach can't be responsible for that. There's only one mediator. We are not mediators between you and Jesus, uh, you and God. There's only one mediator. His name is Jesus. He's the great mediator. No man. What about this thing of modeling? And I, I have a confession to make this morning because I've preached this for years. <laughs> I was taught, you know, that if you want to show people a good marriage, you model a good marriage. She said, that is pressure. You want to you, you parent well, you model parenting. So everyone looks at you and you are the model or you ain't the model. Man, that is, that is that, we want to smash that thing right this morning. We want to smash modeling and say no more. You can applaud because it is good. It's good news. It's, modeling is the mindset that we live under other people's expectations, other traditions, other principles. Model leadership, model marriage, model parenting. And the best way I can explain it is to have a look at a, a scripture out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And please turn there with me. And we're going to look at the first and second chapters. All right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And so you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, and you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not to say anything. I've heard a lot of teaching, a lot of preaching. I've done some myself about being a model and an example. And as we are a model and example, so other people can see and hear this picture of this amazing church that through the life of the church, they became known throughout the whole of Macedonia and Achaia. And that's a beautiful thing. But you know what? If you're not rooted in the first couple of verses, you've got big problems. Because then it is just living under compulsion all of the time. Have to do, have to do, have to model, have to be this. No, no, God set us free from all that. It says simply in the first couple of verses, we know, brothers, loved by God, that He's chosen you because the gospel came to you. When the gospel has set you free from the inside out, there's life. And it carries on and says, not only in word, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Let's be rooted in those things before anything else. That's the way it should be, the way around it should be. And I love Paul's language in chapter 2. If you can just glance across to chapter 2. He says, our appeal does not spring from error or impure motive or any attempt to deceive. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with what? The gospel. So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our heart, for we never came with flattery, as you know, or with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. We did not seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, 
Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I love that. As Paul's saying, this is how I was in, in, in the church with you. I was gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her children and being affectionately desirous of you. Whoopsie. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, our very selves, who we are. We shared that with you because you have become very dear to us. Man, that's the language of affection. That's the language of deep relationship. That's the language of love. That's what he had for this church. And he says, for you remember, brothers, our labor, our toil. We work day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses, as God is also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. My point is simply this. Paul was a murderous God-hating, Christian-hating, church-hating persecutor who had an encounter with God, encounter with Christ, had revelation of Christ. He was radically transformed, and now he's so radically transformed by the gospel that as he shares his life, he, he just becomes an example to everybody else. He's not trying to be an example. It's just as the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit inside of him just goes from the inside out. It transforms his life and everyone can see it anyway. What a different motivation. I read a a quote by D.A. Carson this week. He said, one of the great failures into which even believers sometimes fall is the tendency to underestimate what Jesus can do. (laughs) Don't, Don't we have that tendency sometimes? Oh, they'll never get saved. Never, never get saved. We had a, a, a thing recently. One of Helen's friends from high school was the biggest rebel in the school. And um, we got an email recently saying that he's now, he got saved a while back. He's now, he's now a missionary in Thailand, giving himself for the gospel with his wife and three children. You don't know what Jesus can do. The power of the gospel is amazing will transform. God's hand will be on whom his hand will be on. Amen. So what about some other simple things? What about giving under grace? Well, I want to say this. It's a wonderful scripture that urges us not to give reluctantly or under compulsion. And that, I think that can be comp- uh, applied to every single part of the church as we serve. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. When the gospel has impacted our hearts, and we have a revelation how much of God has freely done for us, then our response can truly be one of heartfelt thanks in every area of the life of the church. It's an overflow of the heart. Let's, in every area of our lives, be generous. That's what I want to say this morning. Generous in our praise of each other. Generous in our smiles. Generous in, our, in how we, we genuinely have affection for each other. You know, I've been challenging little things. You know, guys, sometimes when they send a text, they kind of got to do the macho kind of thing, you know? So you can't say to another guy, I love you. And that's kind of, it's like, it's, why would a guy do that? It's like, oh. I've been challenged in my in texting, in my emails to say to people, I love them. I'm thinking of you. 
Do everything that you can to encourage each other daily. Amen. It's a beautiful thing, relationship. That we can genuinely from our hearts say that we love each other with deep affection. It's such a liberating thing. Let's be generous. Let's be generous in our hospitality. Let's be generous with our children. Let's be a generous people. Let this be a church that is known that it loves Jesus with all its heart and it loves each other with all of its heart. Amen. That's all I want to say. The lesson of Matthew 6 is simply this, is that when we fast and when we give and when we pray and when we do all that stuff, that we do not do it for the, the, the attention or for anyone else. We do it for the audience of one. We do it for God in the closet and he sees. That's the motivation. It's a pure motivation. What about outreach? Well, I want to say this. There's no denying that Jesus ministered both to small groups, groups of 3, 12, 72, and then he also ministered to the masses. And sometimes we do need the big events, and I think sometimes big events are good. But let, if we are the salt of the, of the world, if we are the light, let the salt become salty and let the light shine brightly. Amen? That means our lives, every single one of us. Surely evangel- that's evangelism from the inside out. As we live our lives, as we interact with our neighbors, as we are just who we are at work, and as Jesus is transforming us so we can have impact into our community, our workplace, surely that's the best kind of evangelism. And certainly we do need big events as well. Those that have been transformed by the gospel will share what God has done out of the overflow of their hearts. What about prayer? Well, in order for the priesthood to fully function, we need prayer. And we want to encourage in the the, the church this year that prayer increasingly becomes a lifestyle. That we value it and give time to it. We want to give ourselves to prayer as a church. And so, as uh, Trev already said, we've made some changes that we can pray together. I want to encourage you. Not a law. No compulsion, but that we come together to pray as God is doing things in our hearts. What about meeting together? What about these times? Well, one of the keys, key ways of discipling each other is gathering together. <laughs> okay? Our meeting times. And, we, and sometimes we have to p- persevere in that. The Scripture encourages us not to f- forsake meeting together. And I want to encourage you not to separate your personal journey, the journey that God is taking you on personally, and all of us on a personal journey, not to separate yourself from what God is doing in the corporate journey. Because God is building His church. This is what He's building. He's building a church. He's building a community of believers. And haven't you noticed this? When you start start, uh, losing your joy, your sense of peace, it's most often than not, it's at those times when we're disconnected from fellowship. That's when we start losing our joy. That's when we start losing our sense of peace. And I want to encourage you to, this, this year that our meeting times just become a priority of getting together because we want to worship Jesus. We love him, and he's building us together as a community. What about things like leadership training? Well, We've given ourselves to leadership training. I was speaking to someone the other day, had dinner with someone, and they said to me a very telling comment. They said, I'm all leadership training out. I'm just leadership training out. I can't do it anymore. And I want to say, well, I can't do it anymore either. And we've had to say this as we've talked as a leadership team. 
more and more convinced of this, that the Bible doesn't speak about leadership training. What does the Bible speak about? It just speaks about discipleship. Jesus said, make disciples. And I'm convinced as, that Michael Eaton is right, that he, as, as we talk about, if we walk by the Spirit deliberately, so we'll fulfill the law accidentally. If we preach Christ purposefully, gifts will emerge accidentally. As we just preach Jesus, as Jesus grows large on the inside of people's hearts, we're going to see gifts come and emerge all over the life of the church without anyone being forced to do anything, just as God releases life in people's hearts. As we preach Christ deliberately, gifts will merge accidentally. We're not trying to aim for leadership or ministries. We want to aim for Jesus. We want to aim for him, the center. And we're still committed to equipping as best as we can with passion and being led by the Spirit. Can I just also say that God wants disciples of Jesus. God doesn't want disciples of people. And we can have our pet doctrine, we can have our pet emphasis, and we can gather, try and gather other people to that pet doctrine or pet emphasis. But let's point people away from ourselves. Let us diminish, as John the Baptizer said, so that Christ can grow and increase. And let's point people to Jesus. All of us, every single one of us, are sons before we are priests. We are saints before we are priests in the house. And I guess there are two things that we can face. We can wrestle with our sense of significance and, God, what do you have for me? And at the same time, we can allow Satan to undermine our confidence. But we are sons before we are priests. And I believe we will see disciples emerge as we are increasingly vulnerable with each other, as we increasingly have genuine friendship with each other. I, I think there's different from, difference from being a mate and being a close friend. I've got lots of mates. I desire closer relationships with a number of people. All of us need the three. All of us need the 12. All of us need the 72. But we certainly need three that stick with us closer than a brother. Every single one of us need friendship, deep, intimate friendship. And I'm trusting that if you suffer from uh, perfectionism as I do, that will you allow God to dismantle that in your heart as I'm trusting him to dismantle it in mine. I like to do things and get things done well, but that can be perfectionistic, and that can put a whole lot of stuff on myself and on other people as well. So what about elders then? And I want to just land here this morning. Just some general com comments about eldership. And again, God has brought some repentance to us in terms of our understanding of eldership. Perhaps I want to say this, that previously we've focused much on leadership. Elders are leaders. And there is an element of leadership in eldership, absolutely. But surely, surely, for, first of all, eldership is about godliness and Christ-likeness before it's about leadership. Okay? So I just want to say some simple things. Elders are God's servants who love people passionately. Elders are, at first, they are first sons before anything else. And I'm coming back in my own life to that place of just enjoying the fact that I'm a son. Before I do anything else, I, I'm a son of God. I, I want to enjoy him. I, I want to just celebrate him. I just want to be a son in the house. Before I'm anything else, I want to be a son in this house. Amen. And just as we use the word diakonos, servant, to describe a deacon, it's a good word to describe eldership as well because it simply means a servant of God. It means, no, no please, not a servant of man. <laughs> A servant of God, first of all. 
diakonos. Servant of God who's called to serve the local church. Not called to serve himself, but to serve the local church. That's what diakonos means. And that applies, essentially applies to all of us, but it does apply as we lead. So elders then are servant-hearted shepherds. And uh, there are all sorts of character qualifications, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus. But I want to just say that for all of us, we're all on a personal journey. Every single one of us is being led by God to become more and more like Jesus. And as we may try to make some changes in our own lives and in the life of the church, we want to say this, that we want to be convinced that anyone who joins on the eldership or is released by God onto the eldership is fully on the ancient path with us. Is fully committed to the Word and the Spirit. Is fully committed to preaching the doctrine of Christ. All these things I've tried to describe to you. Unless that is true, we are going to be um, fighting each other. We don't want to do that. Amen? There will become, the unity will come as Jesus is preached. And Acts 13 is such a powerful picture. Can you go with me to Acts 13, please? Just going to read a couple of verses. I love this portion. It's been a portion of my life that has been most significant. It says, the first verse, there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of, Heter- of Herod the Tetrarch, and Paul, or Saul. Now, if you look at the names and the nationalities, it describes a multifaceted team from different nations called together. All of these people are, have Christ at the center, and it's a great picture of a unique team that's men and, uh, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's what God is looking for every single church. It's a desire for every single church. We're not looking for cookie-cut um, carbon copies of people, of men. We are looking for who God wants to join together first in the heart, regardless of their background. God has joined together in the heart, bringing together this beautiful diversity in the church, and uh, we can celebrate that together. And so that means, I just want to say this, that means that if you have a very tight definition in your, um, in your head, and you're trying to put people into little boxes, I think you might be a little bit frustrated. Because we're trying to break the boxes. <laughs> we, we're trying to just let people be who God has made them to be, without saying, uh, someone recently... Um, some sent us a thing saying uh, they were, wanted to discuss what pastors' wives need to do in the church. And they wanted to have this discussion, what pastors' wives needed to do and how they needed to behave. And I promise you, what God has done in our hearts, Helen and I wanted to be sick on the spot. I'm not exaggerating. What must a pastor's wife look like? Well, They must look like the person that God has made them to be. And they need to be celebrated for the person that God has made them to be. And every pastor's wife is going to be completely different from the next pastor's wife because we are individuals in the household of God. Yes, amen. How to conduct yourself in God's house. I'm tired of that stuff. Let's, let's love Jesus with all of our hearts. And all the other stuff will come as we just love him. So I trust you won't be frustrated. I trust you won't try to be slot people into boxes, all right? Because the boxes are breaking. Elders are God's servants that carry anointing through preaching, but
but at the same time love people, are addicted to people. And can I just be naughty and say elders are not people who necessarily clean the toilets every time it's blocked or the heating needs to be switched on. We are all priests in this house. Can I just leave it there? (laughs) So what about apostolic partnership? What about apostolic partnership? Because I think that's important. How do we work together with other churches, and how do we see that developing into the future, given that we are walking by the Spirit? Well, God has already helped us to, to forge friendships with some, some, some men uh, in this last year that God is knitting our hearts with, and we've kept some wonderful friendships from the past. And all of these together are going to help shape the future of the church. But we do desire deep partnership with some flesh and blood people. They can get to know this church, get to know everyone in this church, and partner with us. And so as, as we, uh, I talk about this in the context of the, uh, the ancient path, I want to talk about specifically with you the role of Nick and Glenda. Because a number of, have, have asked, and I think it's time that we, we, um, I make some things clear to you, given this is a walk by the Spirit, right? And I have so loved the last 18 months, and I trust I'm not going to embarrass you guys, eh? That's not my heart. I want to just say I'm so grateful for God that you've, you've uh, been released to come here. With, Nick and Glenn have been with us for 18 months. And for me, it's been a great adventure. It has been a great adventure. And we've grown to know, love each other. We've grown to um, get to know them better, and they're getting to know us. And we hold them in our hearts as friends, simply as friends, as brothers in Christ. But at the same time, they're more than that to us. They come as servants to this church. They are God-given servants for whatever chapter or chapters of the season of this church. Whether that is one chapter, two chapters, who knows? God will, God will make it plain as we go forward. They've come to serve this local church, and they've come to serve other churches out of this local church. They're not gurus. They're not consultants. All right? We haven't asked them as consultants they come as friends. They come as brothers. They come to serve with us, and that's how we receive them. I want to use this and say that Nick is a co-elder with us into the life of this church. And this church needs to become a base for them as a family, and from this family, a base from which they can work out into other churches. Nick is an apostolic gift to us. And what makes the relationship unique and exciting for me is that they are resident with us. They are here with us. And uh, uh, we, we've we talked about this quite a lot over the last, uh, last 18 months because there's no one that can really help us to, to uh, work out how it works because no one else is doing it quite like this. And that's incredibly exciting. It's an opportunity that we have just to work some things out and hear God for ourselves and, our ch- and this church and God will lead us by the Spirit as we go forward. So we just want to say we love you guys for who you are. Eh? And I am so glad that you're with us. Nick, I've got, I really have grown to love you. And th- thanks for being here. Um. I think it is important that we do, in saying what I've said, it releases and empowers Nick to do what God has called him to do. 
At the same time, it empowers us as we receive the fullness of their ministry. Uh, that, that's, for me, it's a beautiful partnership that we have. And so we, we celebrate Nick's preaching gift. Uh, I'm sure you've enjoyed his un, un, unpacking of the words and his doctrine, his clarity of doctrine, his sharpness. And already he's helped to underpin some of the foundations of this church. And for me, that is a God-given gift, a God-given thing. So in summary, they are co-laborers with us. They are friends. They are co-elders with us for the season. And we want to celebrate them as part of this leadership team. And we want to encourage their ministry out of this church. They can be fully effective and fully fruitful, not only in this church, but into the churches that God has called them to work. And at the moment, Nick is working into maybe five or six other churches in the UK. And so as we've talked, we think it's a good um, measure for us that perhaps a third of Nick's time is spent here. A third of Nick's time is spent out ministering with other churches that God is letting his heart with. And perhaps the remaining 30% um, is uh, for Nick's personal study and his writing. And already we're gonna, you're going to be blessed when his first books come out. They'll be coming out shortly. And it's going to be a great, great uh, gift to the body of Christ. And so we just want to say, I know you've been here 18 months, but welcome once again. Eh? And we, we love you guys. So perhaps my attempts have been, uh, perhaps I've been a little bit clumsy in some areas this morning, but I trust that gives you something of uh, what we feel God is taking us into. And again, I just want to say it's a, it is such a, 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 a wonderful, exciting, terrifying journey of just hearing God and saying, God, teach us, show us, we want to learn, we want to walk together with you. Amen. Let's uh, stand. We're going to worship together.